Bibles, Matthew chapter 24. I thought we just uh, needed to take just a moment. Does anybody need prayer this morning? You don't have to come down front. You can raise your hand right, right where you're at and somebody will come pray with you this morning. We got one, we got two right over here. Uh, Jan, uh, if you'd pray for Sandy. Uh, let me get my mind straight here. Lewis, if you'd go pray for Theo. And uh, Margaret, would you, would you go pray for Linda Terwilliger, please? Anybody else need prayer this morning? That's come, they'll pray right with you right where you're at, quietly. You need prayer this morning. Anybody else? All right, I have an unspoken. For you that aren't praying for somebody else, I just have an unspoken. Would you pray that God's will would be done in that? that unspoken, and that God would get the glory for it. Could you do that this morning? While we're in chapter 24 and 25 of Matthew, could we, could we not just get through singing that song about that glorious day? Shouldn't we be looking forward with that glorious day with anticipation? And uh, so it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful time in the Scripture it's an interesting time in the world, amen? It's an interesting time. So today we're going to look, uh, begin to look at the destruction of the temple and the destruction of, of Jerusalem. We're, this morning in particular, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 3. But here's what I want you to know about Jerusalem and, and the temple. There was, go, there, was, there was a certain destruction coming. And that destruction was going to be complete. Now look, uh, many of the old divine theologians, uh, people from way in the past, listen to this now, they, they see and have seen the destruction of Jerusalem as a bit of what the destruction at the end of time is going to look like. But... But the destruction at the end of time is going to be on steroids compared to how bad it was at the destruction of Jerusalem. And the people had never seen anything like the destruction of Jerusalem was. Was. Okay, listen to me. And we can't imagine the utter destruction at the, at the end of the world. We, we, we have no way to fathom that. So I want to read verses 1 through 3. So uh, you've got your Bibles open. So look at uh, chapter 23, the last verse. This is kind of where we were at. So you remember the last, uh, I'll begin in verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing See, your house is left to you desolate. Now listen to this. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So all of this discussion today comes out of verse 39. But I tell you, you will not see me again. Now, they saw him again on the cross, but they did not see him again in the temple. Okay? So I want you to get, get the setting for verse chapter 24, verse 1. So chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away. And when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And I want to tell you, that is saying a mouthful when you know the stones in, uh, 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 in the temple and the magnitude of these stones and even the stones on the, the walls around uh, Jerusalem and the massiveness of them. They thought it's an impossibility. Well, listen, when God gets ready to destroy, He can destroy completely, no matter how magnificent it may look to us. Verse 3. And, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives, okay, so I, I wish I had had the technology to give it to Paul or 
or Jimmy or somebody. But, but I looked in a, a, a Bible dictionary about the Mount of Olives. And this is the way I understand it. So you have Jerusalem to the west. You have the Kidron Valley. And then going up to, towards Bethel, uh, you, you have the Mount of Olives on the east side. And evidently going up to Bethel, there was a place that you came to the pinnacle up on top of the Mount of Olives. And when you sat there, okay, so they're going from Jerusalem to Bethel. And when he gets up on the, the top at the Mount of Olives, he stops to give this discourse. Matter of fact, next week we'll look at it. One of six discourses, and this is the last one that he gives in, in the book of Matthew. So he gets up to this point, and so the picture I was looking at is sitting up on the top of Mount, the Mount of Olives and looking down upon Jerusalem and the temple. And, and even in the picture, you, you can't imagine what they were looking at. It was a massive sight. This, this temple was unbelievable. So this is the setting. He's up on the Mount of Olives. He's looking down at Jerusalem and the temple, and he begins to teach the people. So this is, this is the setting. So as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Okay, just his, just his disciples saying, now here's two questions. Tell us when these things will be. We, we want to know, don't we? We want to know. And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Two questions. Now, we've got to keep these two questions in mind as we look at chapter 24 and chapter 25. Are you with me? Got to get, got to get verse 3 down. Tell us then when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So, we're in chapter 24. Verses 1 and 2 tells of the destruction of the temple. Verses 3 through 31 that we'll spend a few weeks on shows the things that will happen before the destruction of the temple. He shows what will happen also at the time of His coming in doing so. In verses 32 through 35 is the parable of the fig tree. And all it does is shows that the, just as the fig tree with leaves means it's going to have fruit, then this prophecy means it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Verses 36 through 41, listen to this. Now this is another key for understanding this, okay? No man knows the day and the hour. There's another scripture that I'm sure we'll look at over the next few weeks. It says, if you knew the day or the night the thief was coming, you'd be ready, right? Huh? Yes. Listen, we don't know the day or no hour. But listen to me. We better be ready. That, that's the gist of the end time prophecy. Here's the gist. You better be ready. We've got, a, we've got a few days, maybe. We've got a few minutes, maybe. We've got a few hours. Maybe we've got a few years. We don't know. But when that day comes, it's ultimately important that we are ready. So, we ought to watch and be a good servant. If we are watching and expecting His return, being a good servant, living for His glory, doesn't matter when He comes. Because we're what? Ready. We're ready. These verses begin a couple of chapters of prophecy. Prophecy which, for the most part, is unfulfilled. Prophecy which should interest all Christians. Oh, this is prophecy that is and interests those that are not Christians, if they have any concept of a return of Christ at all. 2 Peter 1.19 says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. Are we not to be paying attention to Scripture? Well, we're now looking at the end time prophecy. We ought to pay good attention to the scripture. 
as a, attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We need to approach Scripture, listen, especially prophetic Scripture, with prayer and humility for understanding. But I will tell you that these prophecies are the very things that good men have disagreed upon for decades. It's hard to understand. In order to understand the entire chapter, we've got to understand, you'll hear me say this, so over the next few weeks as we go forward, maybe as you read this scripture and think about it, stop and and pay a special attention to verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, get, hey, listen, get, get your Bible dictionary, pull it up on your phone, the Mount of Olives, and maybe you'll pull up a picture in which you're up on the Mount of Olives looking down at the temple. It is awesome. Maybe next week we can have that, that up to show you. Okay? As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Listen to me. That's a good word. Listen to me. Every one of us have access to Him on a daily basis to approach Him privately. How many of us are taking advantage of that? Because of what He's done, because He's our intercessor, because He's our mediator, we have access to Him through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Saying, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So on leaving the temple for the last time, the disciples called to Jesus' attention the splendor of the temple. Just look at this. Just look at the magnificency of this. To their surprise, he tells them it's about to be utterly and completely destroyed. You see that down there? Gone. And I will tell you that they had one thing kind of right. So these two questions, uh, tell us when it's going to happen. Now, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? You've got to understand that the Jews were still looking for an earthly king And they couldn't separate the the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple from the end of the age. They saw that as, it's got to happen together. And they're thinking, the end of the age and destruction of Jerusalem is going to happen at the same time. Yet we already know we are what? We're 1,990 years or so, no, 1,950 years or so past the destruction of Jerusalem. And the last day hadn't come yet, has it? But what do we know? It's closer than it was then. It's closer than it was then. So, this absolutely penetrated their hearts. And they follow him to the Mount of Olives to question him. He got their attention. Is he going to get our attention? Here we are. It surely may be the last time that we look at this prophecy in detail. You know, there's going to be someday you're going to do something for the last time. This may be the last time we look at this prophecy till he returns, right? So, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In this verse, we see a clue. It's a vision on three fronts. The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple the personal second coming of Christ and the end of the world. Okay? Has the the destruction of Jerusalem come and gone? Okay? Has the second coming of Christ happened yet? And have we had the end of the age yet? No. But just as certain as Jerusalem was certain and completely destroyed, surely Christ is going to return. And we ought to be looking forward to it. It, Listen, I believe that song. It's going to be a glorious day. And 
the end of the world's coming. He's going to end this as he sees fit for his honor and glory, set up the new heavens and earth. Amen? Okay. So these things, uh, these things are so intertwined, these events, that in some parts of the chapter, it's hard to separate them. So you kind of got to think about it. Which, what's he talking about? Struck from Jerusalem, the end of time. So next week, we'll take up the first 14 verses. And these are about the things that are going to happen, but are not signs that the end of time is coming. We'll look at that next week. They seem to apply to both the Jewish and the Christian uh, periods of this time. So today, we're going to begin to look at verses 1 through 3. So let's get into that. All right, I took you back to chapter 23 and verse 39 when he said, For I tell you, you will not see me again. So that sets up where we're at. Y'all ready for that? So Jesus left the temple and was going away. And when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, you see all these? Do you, you see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, all three of the Gospels agree in the substances of the Savior's reply. They're all compatible with each other. No differences really whatsoever. So Christ has finished His work where? Tell me where He's finished His work. In the temple and with the Jews. He's through with them. He's finished it. He never came to the temple again. He was headed towards the Mount of Olives. And in the next verse, we're going to find Him where? At the Mount of Olives. It's just a two-mile walk from Jerusalem to Bethel, I don't, uh, uh, to maybe uh, the, the uh, elevation of uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem, it's, it's not but a 277-foot climb to the top of the Mount of Olives, so it's not like climbing up Pikes Peak or something like that. So it was a walk, but it would have been, a, it would have been an incline. It would have been one of those deals, if you were going off it in a car, you probably are up it in a car, you probably wouldn't notice it. But if you were walking up it or riding a bicycle up it, you'd know there was an incline. So that's where he had gone. So his disciples come to him, and they're admiring this facility, this temple. And they're in awe of it. The temple built by Zerubbabel almost 600 years before and touched up, and Herod did much work on the temple. Incredible stones... Uh, stones that, in my mind, you think, how in the world did they get these huge stones into place? I mean, they didn't have track hose. They didn't have uh, cranes. They didn't have all of these kinds of things. How did they get them in place? It was magnificent. I'm talking about stones as big as a house. Huge stones. But Jesus says, the Savior says to them, you see all these? Do you not? Do you see them? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. If we look at history, Bible history, Josephus and other accounts, it fell just this way. Not a stone left. A Roman emperor taking Jerusalem about 40 years after this commanded his soldiers to spare the temple when they entered the city. But they had worked up such a rage in the, the, the period of uh, besieging while they're outside, while they're battering down the walls, these soldiers had got fired up. So when they went in, they set the temple on, on fire, and everything that would burn, burned. Now listen, it, it gets crazier. And then, after that, one of the generals actually drew a plow over the temple area to just show that it's gone. They plowed it up with a plow. Micah 3.12 says, Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, 
and the mountain of the house a wooded height. It happened just that way. Listen, it, it, it gets even crazier. Listen, when, when God decides to destroy something and he destroys it, I, you probably ought to think, think a couple of times about trying to rebuild it back. Listen to this. This is, this is, uh, this is history. When Alpheus, by command of Julian the apostate, attempting the rebuilding of the temple with the help of the Jews, listen to this, it is reported that balls of fire rose up from the foundations, destroyed many of the workmen, and the, made the place inaccessible to any further attempts. That sounds to me like a supernatural act. Listen, ch- listen, church. Listen, proud people. There are no places so strong, but an almighty God is able to tear it down. Just, I don't know who's the most, well, maybe I do. I was going to say, maybe I don't know who the most proud and uh, boastful man of the day may be. There would be more than one. But that most proud, boastful, self-sufficient man, guess what? There will be certain and complete ruin for him. I don't care how many billions he has. Do you hear me? There will be certain and complete ruin for those without Christ. You don't get to check the box, opt out. I'll pass on that one. We may also, listen to this now, church, Jan, we talked about it Wednesday night in Bible study. We may also observe how little God values splendid houses of prayer when the people have made those houses den of thieves. Did y'all get that? We may also observe how little God values splendid houses of prayer when they are made dens of thieves. This is to be a place of worship. This is a place to come and worship God, to hear His Word preached, to be a house of prayer. So we need to be careful what we bring in to the place of worship. Amen? So verse 3 again, As He sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the ages? When shall these things be? Great question. Uh, It's a great question for them to ask. Uh, We know better than to ask a question, right? Huh? We know better than to ask a question. He's already said. Nobody. Christ Jesus, our mediator, sitting at the right hand of the Father, As our mediator and the Son of God, he doesn't even know the day. What will be the sign when all these things will happen? There seems to be three questions. What should be the sign of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple? Question number one. Of his second coming and of the end of the world. Now Mark talks about which disciples were with him on this little trek over the Mount of Olives. Mark says that with the Savior were Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So let me just tell you, uh, Mark, mm, I should have, there's not as many verses in Mark, but Mark 13 is really, it's a companion scripture as well as Luke 21 being a companion scripture. But Mark is really a good read. It's more condensed, but it has some information that Matthew doesn't have in it. So, Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, Luke 21, companion scriptures. Now, we know for sure that three of these guys were pretty close to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? They were, they were, they were some of his entrusted ones. 
And all are naturally curious to know the things that are come. Hey, show a movie. Matter of fact, what did the Jehovah Witnesses, what did they do around the resurrection? What did Jehovah Witnesses, did any of you get it in your door? They, 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 they put a track in the doors. They, they, I, I don't think they knocked on doors because I think we were at home when they came. But they put tracks in the door and it had to do with the end time prophecy. Because a lot of people, even lost people, still want to know about that stuff. They're interested in that kind of stuff. So these disciples were particularly curious because they were close to Jesus. They had some apprehensions of the coming and of the kingdom of Christ. They still didn't, didn't understand it. They were again, what were the Jews looking for? What were many of the disciples looking for? Somebody to come and to solve this problem with the Roman government. Amen? He wasn't coming for that. The destruction of Jerusalem is a thing hundreds of years past. It's come and gone. Matthew Poole's a 1600 guy. When he, uh, when he was commenting on these verses, he said, Jerusalem was destroyed and here we are 1600 years later and he's not come the second time again and we don't have the end yet. So we're 370, 80 years past that. Jerusalem has been destroyed. Temple has been destroyed. Christ hasn't come. We don't have the end of the age yet. But what do we know? It's coming. Be ready. So what can we uh, pick up from this? I want you to remember this as, as I move forward. Many old writers agree that the destruction of Jerusalem was a type of the destruction of the world. A type. And I don't think any of us can imagine how bad it was when Jerusalem was destroyed. So, just get this picture. A wall city, right? Self-sufficient. Magnificent walls. A magnificent temple. Besieged, that means uh, more self-contained than what they wanted to be self-contained. And then absolutely and completely destroyed people, murdered, pregnant women ripped open, babies killed. We can't even fathom how bad it was. He said if, it hadn't have been, if he hadn't have shortened it because of the elect, nobody would have been able to bear it. Horrendous. But I want to tell you that the destruction of the end of the world will be uglier than that. So Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to the point out to came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. He answered them, "You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down." Three points. When Jesus leaves permanently, we're in trouble, and ruin is on the way. Now, I want to tell you, this, this, this is something as a pastor that has uh, broken my heart over the ages. And let, let me explain that to you. So, when Jesus leaves, a church, a people, a family, trouble coming. We don't want him to leave us. He was never in the temple again. But they would see him on the cross. Genesis 6, 3. It's, it's, it's always troubled me. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever. Uh, another translation. Uh, My spirit will not strive with a man forever. For he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. This text, this, uh, this thought of God leaving people, leaving families, never to visit them again, scares me as a pastor. When Christ leaves, ruin is certain. And 40 years later for Jerusalem, it happened. Complete. You have heard, total ruin. And when Christ leaves us today, it means that we're not saved and certain and complete ruin is coming. Hebrews 13, 5. 
Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise that he's made to Christians. So he's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. But here's what troubles me. And, and you can imagine how many times it's happened over 30 years at the same church. You have people, individuals or families that come around and they come around for two or three months or they come around for five or six months or they come around for a year, but they never, they never make a commitment to the church. They never make a confession of faith. You may do a gospel study with them and they, they, they may seem to, uh, to grasp the gospel, but they're not willing to follow in believer's baptism. And, and, and so then they just drift off and drift away. For a pastor, that's a scary... I, I text somebody this week. So, so here's the deal. And, and I, I thought about it again this week. He says uh, in Mark 1, 14 and 15, if you want to turn there, you can. We won't be there long. But he, he says there in, in that scripture, says, now when Jesus was arrested, Jesus came, when John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Do y'all get this? People come around and they hear preaching. And they get the gospel presentation and, the kingdom, stepping into the kingdom of God is right there. Repent, believe the gospel. Repent, but believe the gospel. And they hear preaching. And they hear it every Sunday. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is right there. Young people, you hear it, you hear it, and you hear it. Enter into the kingdom of God. Repent, confess your sins, believe in Christ. Enter the kingdom of God. Because He may quit striving with you. And He may leave you. That can't happen to a believer, but it surely happens with lost people. So, when Jesus leaves permanently, was the temple in trouble? Was Jerusalem in trouble? Number two, there's a modern day of certain and complete ruin coming. There is a modern day certain and complete ruin coming. Like no other. A ruin that leaves people without any eternal hope. No spiritual life. No salvation. No entering into the kingdom. No repenting and believing. When that happens, there will be no well done thy good and faithful servant heard. And that's what we yearn to hear. There'll be no eternal life for those without Christ. There will be certain and complete ruin. Listen, wow, in our Sunday school lesson... For this coming week, uh, there's an account in there uh, about an atheist, a very prominent uh, that, that we might know, that is very boastful uh, about not, not believing. And, and, and whether, he may be boastful about not believing and those kind of things, but there's a certain and complete ruin coming for that person. Now listen to me carefully. John 10.10 10, the first half of the verse says this. Now, here's, here's why this is happening. Because the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Right? So he is out for all of our certain and complete ruin. So there's a modern day certain and complete ruin coming for those who will not come to Christ. Number three. So the first one was, when Jesus leaves permanently, we're in trouble and ruin is on the way. The second point was, there's a modern day of certain complete ruin coming. 
The third point is this. The magnificent in the eyes of people can be destroyed. The magnificent in the eyes of people can be destroyed. Listen, Christ is not impressed with appearance. He is not impressed with appearance. He is looking for holiness, righteousness, mercy, justice, faithfulness. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for outward show. Was that not a problem with the Pharisees, the religious leaders? They were out to be seen and out to gain. Listen, in our lives... You know what he's looking for? Holiness, righteousness, mercy, justice, faithfulness, living for God's glory in our lives. That's what he's looking for. That, if anything is going to impress God, that's what's going to impress God, not our outward appearance. And in our church, what's he looking for? He's looking for a church that loves him, serves him, lives for His glory, where holiness and righteousness and mercy and justice and faithfulness is, is practiced. So what should we do as we approach this discourse that we're going to be looking at for several weeks in the lesson today? Well, first of all, we need to each one evaluate where we're at with the Lord. Where are we at with the Lord? Are we a follower of Jesus? Are we in a right relationship with Him? Have we entered into the kingdom of God? Have we been spiritually resurrected in this life? And are we living a changed life in this world? Evaluation. No time for evaluation. You know, roars and rumors of war and all these bad things happen. You know, when He comes back, it's going to be boom. Immediate. No preparation. Don't go out there looking if he's come. Somebody tells you he's over here. Forget that. It's sudden. Do we have a desire to live a God-glorifying life by the resurrection power for His glory? That's evaluation. If we're not certain that we are in the kingdom of God, that we're followers of Jesus, certain and complete ruin waits us on the last day. So here's what God can and desires to do. And here's what we can do. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Verse 33, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You hear all those eyes in there? That's not I, your preacher. That's not you. That's God. So listen. Listen to what he promises. I'll write my law on your heart. I'll put it in your mind. Come on now. This is the new covenant. Not wrote on stone tablets. Not out here on the wall. Okay? I'm going to put it in your mind. I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to be your God. And you're going to call me my people. I'm, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. You with me? The people are going to make him their God. Are you with me? Do you want that? He says, I'll do that. Well, how do you get that? Well, you want it. That's what your heart's desire is. To be called. To call him my God and for him to call you my people. Is that not what we all want? Is that not what we want to see on the last day when He is on the throne? Oh, those are my people. Those are my people. 
Well, you've got to become His people now. And, and so, I don't want to leave you as hopeless, but you're saying, well, this is what all God does. Right? And God does do it. Well, listen to this. Here's what you can do. I love the Scripture. And I love to put people's names in this Scripture. You can stick your name in there today, okay? It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, 13 through 11, 11 through 13, I know the plans I have for you, fill in the blank. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. And then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 30 years. 30 years. 28 years going to the jail. Even in that situation where people are in a real strait, in a real bind, I, I can't think of five men that I've dealt with in 30 years that I felt like were really seeking God. That's the promise, though. You seek me? What's the promise? You'll find me. Oh, it, it's not that you're willing to come and he won't take you. You're not willing to come. You're not willing to seek him on his terms. And what are his terms? Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that Christ is the Savior and died on the cross for your sins. Repent from going your way. Turn from going your way. Go my way. And there's some things you've been doing you can't do anymore. You've got to stop. And if you'll seek Him with all your heart, you'll find Him. He will be your God and you'll be His people. Listen, you don't have to worry about certain and complete ruin. There's going to be certain and 10,000 years and we're just beginning to count of joy. You see the difference of what the devil offers and what God offers? God, God comes to... To, to give life and to save. What, what did I say? The, I came that they may have life and have it in its fullness. And the devil came to, to destroy. You know what that looks like in eternity? A burning hell. And because he's just, and because he's holy, he's going to give us what we deserve if we don't believe in his son. There is certain and complete eternal ruin, ruin coming upon all without Christ. America, and it would be it would be a comforting thing to believe. America is quickly believing that all go to heaven. But you know, what do we know from the scripture? that there's already somewhere. The truth is, not all are going to heaven. And the truth is, there'll be complete and certain ruin for many. Listen to this. <clears throat> this is a, a divine. These, these words, you'd know when I read them, when I read them, that they didn't come out of my thoughts and minds. The most beautiful body will be shortly worm's meat. Hey, that casket, you can buy the best money you can buy. You can, you, can, uh, you can buy that steel vault and they can seal it up. A few days, worms are going to be eating on that body. The most beautiful buildings will be a ruined heap. Do you not see this? Christ is not so much in love with this world as the apostles were and we are. Did y'all hear me? We ought not to love the world like we love it. God doesn't. He created it. So when they ask Him about it, Really, what's going to happen? 
Instead of reversing the sentence about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus just hammers down on it. I'm, it's going to be destroyed. It happened in 40 years. Listen, if we, if we had the opportunity to be in His presence up on the Mount of Olives, and we said, really, the end, of, the end of age is going to come? You know what He'd do? He'd just hammer down on it. It's coming. It's certain. Get ready. Go back in Matthew chapter 24. I want us to remember this in closing. Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. Are y'all aware, are you at least a bit aware of what an evil time we're living in? I'm telling you the truth. I don't believe it's as evil as, I believe it's more evil than Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, And I just saw where some some law was introduced to to, uh, put parents and doctors in jail for chemically and physically mutilating our our children and young people. And guess what? That's where they ought to be. That is child abuse. That is sick. That is demonic. But we are there. And it's being celebrated. So, wars, rumors of wars. I'm in verse 6, and you hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you're not alarmed. Hey, look. Man, I don't know what people without Christ do. Sometimes I just have to take a deep breath and say, God's got it. Do not be alarmed. As a follower of Christ, He will be with you no matter how bad it gets. And at the, at the end of your life or at the end of time, you're going to be with Him for eternity. And what's the Scripture say? Just one second there. And all the bad that you might have had to endure, gone. In a moment, we'll forget about it. But uh, here's, you're going to hear this almost every Sunday coming up, okay? See to it that you are not alarmed. See to it that you're not alarmed, but be ready. Be a good servant. Be ready. There should not be one stone left upon another. Certain ruin, complete ruin. And and the devil, listen, the devil exists to see your ruin. But God has said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Listen, let me just encourage you to buy into the abundant life today. For God's glory, for your enjoyment. You know what the abundant life is? It's simple. Get up every morning the rest of your life and say one thing. Today, Lord, I want to live for your glory. Just tell me to do that. I, I'm telling you, that's the abundant life. Is it not? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God, enjoy Him forever. An eternal and abundant life for Jesus, with Jesus, forever in heaven. In eternity. Abundant life today. Listen, you're going to do yourself a disservice if you are saved. And do not live the abundant life here. You're missing out. You're missing out. And you're missing out being a huge testimony and a witness to your family. So what will it be? What have you done with your sins? There's not a thing to do with your sins. You better take them. 
You better roll them over to Christ and Him on that cross and accept His payment for them. What have you done with Christ? Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Are you willing to say who He is? And have you embraced Him as yours, as your Lord and Savior? What have you done with your sins? What have you done with Christ? What have you done or what are you doing with the life you have right here now? Really? What are you doing with your life? Are you wasting upon the things of this world? Are you losing the life that you have to live for God's glory? You know, if we get to heaven and we've squandered this life, nah, I won't even go there. It's, not a, it's, it's an impossibility to be disappointed in heaven. Really, it is. There won't be any disappointments in heaven. But just think about the opportunities we're going to miss if we don't live this life for God's glory. Amen? The, the, the lives that we might impact. What have you done about eternity? Eternity. The song, Amazing Grace, it is a great song. But 10,000 years is the small estimation of eternity. Huh? 89, 72, 10,000 years. Eternity? They're just blips in here. Eternity where? Huh? Where are you going to spend eternity? Yeah, how do you know that? Because of what you've done with your sins and what you've done with Christ. And if you haven't done anything with your sins, and if you haven't done anything with Christ, there is another eternity that will not be good. Complete, certain, utter ruin. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would do with us and do with this message in preparing us for the last days, how to operate until those last days, how to operate in those last days and looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would do with us in this message what you see fit to do for your honor and glory. Amen.